0: This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute, the global public square for the business of space. Join us at interastra.space. Do we have an ETA on the first lady, I asked? His eyes swept left, right, came back to center. His head pivoted a wee tiny bit to the left and back to the right. The answer was clearly no. Ah, I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together, in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, You'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you. And also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplorers.com. How much of a rogue are you? When someone in authority says, here's what you need to do, do you go along with it? Or do you instantly think, I don't want to do that? Or... I'm not going to do that. I was always the go-along type growing up, but in the astronaut corps, I learned the value of knowing how to be a constructive rogue. To put it another way, I became quite adept at reframing a situation so that I saw possibilities beyond the ones initially presented and could help the people around me pivot to those new possibilities. I picked up a couple of one-liners from my fellow astronauts that helped me do this. One was, well, that's the wrong answer. And the other was, yes, but that's not my problem. My most memorable use of these came late one night down at the Kennedy Space Center as a crowd of VIPs waited for a very special space shuttle launch. The date was July 20, 1999, and the occasion was the launch of the first shuttle mission to be commanded by a woman, Air Force Colonel Eileen Collins. Eileen, the first woman selected as a shuttle pilot astronaut, was leading a crew of five whose primary mission was to deploy the third of NASA's large space observatories, the Chandra X-ray telescope. Needless to say, this was a very big deal. Both a great and well-deserved famous first for Eileen, and also a huge opportunity for NASA to inspire women in science engineering and, not incidentally, garner some good press. The agency laid on a lavish slate of pre-launch media and VIP events, which will be capped off by a visit from the then First Lady of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. The agency's guest list included an eye-watering number of A-listers, among them, presidential daughter Chelsea Clinton, national public radio correspondent Nina Totenberg, aviator Wally Funk from the Mercury 13 group of would-be astronauts, and several World War II veterans from the Women's Army Air Corps. I was there too, along with my most space-crazy book club pal, Kathy. She spells hers with a C on the front and an E on the end, by the way. After a day filled with tours of the Space Center, briefings by various NASA officials, and panel discussions featuring accomplished women, NASA loaded all of us VIP guests onto buses and took us out to the Apollo Saturn V Center. This immense building, located on the edge of the Banana River, was where we would watch the launch. The Saturn V Center was the primo viewing site for shuttle launches and I bet it is for SpaceX launches nowadays. You're as close to the pad as anybody is allowed to be for a launch, two miles away, which is just outside the so-called blast danger area, meaning just beyond where pieces of shrapnel might hit if the rocket explodes. And you've got a beautiful clear view of the pad across the scenic river. I guessed that the First Lady would watch the launch from the rooftop terrace while we all would be in the large patio and lawn area on the ground level. Loudspeakers throughout the site broadcast the launch control center and crew voice loops so that guests could follow the countdown's progress. We whiled away a few hours mingling over refreshments, gawking at the 363-foot-long Saturn V rocket hanging over our heads, a real surplus rocket, by the way, not a model, and checking out the various exhibits. Then our NASA minders herded us into a large auditorium for more briefings, of course. Remarks from the First Lady would follow shortly after the presentations, we were told. Launch was about an hour away at this point. As the final NASA briefer was wrapping up, a trio of clean-shaven, dark-suited men, each sporting a crew cut and earbuds, came into the room and quietly positioned themselves at each of the two entrances and down near center stage. I elbowed my friend Kathy and explained that these were the First Lady's protection detail. A young NASA public relations officer then took the stage to tell us what to expect when the First Lady arrived. Mrs. Clinton is en route, she said, so we were to stay put in our seats until she arrived at the auditorium. After her remarks, we would all go outside To watch the launch. So we waited. Smartphones didn't exist yet. They were still years away. So people struck up conversations with other guests and generally made small talk. I strained to follow the launch control voice loop over the rising conversational hum. We chatted. I listened. We continued to wait and wait and wait. Now the countdown entered the normal pre-planned 10-minute hold at T-minus 20 minutes. Liftoff was now just 40 minutes away. Coming out of that hold, the crew would shift the onboard computers to flight mode, the hydraulic system would be pressurized, fuel lines secured, ignition circuits armed, and so on. During my own countdowns, this was when I stopped napping. As a spectator... This was when I didn't want to do anything but listen to what launch control and the crew were saying. But we were still stuck in the auditorium with the ever louder chatter, making it harder and harder for me to hear what was going on. Soon we were in the T-minus nine minute hold, the last planned pause before liftoff. There was still no sign of the first lady. At this point, I decided it was time to leave the room and go outside. Staying put as instructed, was clearly the wrong answer now. But I also knew a thing or two about how the Secret Service works. The two key points of that are that they will never give you any information whatsoever about the whereabouts of the person they're protecting. And second, that they consider anybody who's moving in a room that they have secured to be a threat to that person. So instead of just charging out of the room, I walked calmly down to center stage And over to the steely-eyed man posted there. His suit jacket was unbuttoned, as they always are with the Secret Service, so the agents can get to their weapons more quickly, and his eyes were constantly sweeping the room, also as always. I stood quietly next to him with my hands clasped in front of me so as to be easily within his view. Hi, I'm space shuttle astronaut Dr. Kathy Sullivan, a guest of the NASA Administrator, I said. Now, anyone who knows me will tell you that I never, but never introduce myself like that, flouting who I am and dropping names to make sure you know just how impressed you should be. But I had a higher purpose that evening. And establishing myself with this agent as a trusted person of some authority was the essential first step towards achieving that purpose. Do we have an ETA on the First Lady, I asked. His eyes swept left, right, came back to center. His head pivoted a wee tiny bit to the left and back to the right. The answer was clearly no. Ah, so have you locked down this room? Eyes left, right, back to center. Head left, right. No. So... If I were to walk out that door over there, I said, pointing to the door that led out to the patio, you wouldn't have a problem with that. I sweep left, right, back to center, tiny head move left to right. No. Great. Then I'm going outside to monitor the final minutes of the countdown. With that, I began walking slowly towards the aforementioned door, and beckoned to my friend Kathy for her to come along. She rose calmly from her seat, made her way along the row, down to the stage area, and passed the same steely-eyed Secret Service agent over to me. Kathy's movement caught Sally Ride's eye. Realizing in a flash what we were doing, she got up and came down to join us. It quickly dawned on the rest of the audience that veteran astronauts Kathy Sullivan and Sally Ride undoubtedly knew what they were doing, and they should probably follow us. They rose as if one to do just that. Well, one or two people leaving the auditorium had not distressed the young NASA public relations officer, but seeing the whole audience evacuating freaked her out completely. NASA would be horribly embarrassed if the First Lady walked into an empty room, and I bet she reckoned she'd be fired. She begged me to stay in the room and help her turn the crowd around. I had no intention of doing that, of course. The First Lady's delay and the mass evacuation were not my problems, but I sympathized with her panic. Come on, calm down, I said. Here's what's going to happen. It will be so close to launch when her plane lands that her team will tell her they need to go directly to her secure viewing area. They will assure her that you've given her deep regrets to us, and she will never know the room was empty. Things turned out just as I predicted. The First Lady was rushed to the rooftop when she finally got to the Saturn V Center, arriving just in time to hear that the launch was scrubbed. Resolving a fairly minor technical problem had taken a few seconds too many, and the time window designated for the launch had expired. What's the point here? If you're like the young me, a bit too inclined to think you have to accept things just as they are, or take on every problem someone mentions to you, you might find those two reframing triggers useful. Here are a few other tips I learned over the years that can help you use them wisely and to good effect. Tip number one, they are both meant as pivots, not put-downs. I never said either one aloud on that would-be launch night, just used them to redirect my own thinking about what I could do. Yes, on other occasions, my crewmates or colleagues would say them out loud to each other, but even then, it was always with the intent of reframing the situation and launching some creative rethinking. The big lesson here is that your body language, tone, and eye contact will determine whether your colleagues or counterparts take them as constructive prompts or feel they are put-downs. Tip number two may be of particular value to the women listening today. Presenting your well-earned credentials to establish your standing is not bragging. It's telling the truth about yourself. Hyper-vigilant Secret Service agents are not the only folks who scan their surroundings to spot persons of interest, everybody does. In any room full of people, everyone is asking themselves subconsciously who matters to them and who can be trusted. Sadly, even today, many men scanning the crowd will presume that none of the women could possibly matter to them. Don't rely on someone else to set them straight. Wear your credentials proudly and deploy them with confidence to ensure your position and capabilities are recognized and valued properly. Never let someone discount or diminish them, or you. So, when will you be the useful rogue in the room? And use one of these triggers to change a situation for the better. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplorers.com. This podcast is brought to you by the InterAstra Institute. New episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Music, and most everywhere podcasts are found to be the first to know when the next episode drops head over to innerastra.space